There is actually a study done by the American Medical Association showing that if you have one week of less than five hours of sleep a night, you reduce your testosterone production by 10 to 15%. So we're stressed, we're not prioritizing our relationships, we're not sleeping, and we've got no testosterone. And then we've got the belly fat everywhere, and now they've got the mannequins out there looking like dad bods, and I'm so against that. We're supporting mediocrity here. We're supporting not being healthy as being the norm and it being okay. I mean, that's not what this podcast is about. Welcome to the Dr. Ashley Show. Welcome to the Dr. Ashley Show. I'm Dr. Ashley, and today we're gonna answer all of the questions that you guys have on menopause and testosterone. So I've got Lisa here in the studio with me, and she is one of our certified PhD consultants and team leaders of one of our offices. And you're just gonna go ahead and ask me all these questions that you guys have submitted, so let's go for it. All right, so the first one is, why do I gain weight in my tummy now? Is it menopause? That's a great question. If it's around the time where you're entering into menopause or shortly after and you see this major switch in how your body seems to be tolerating food and putting on fat, if you find that before you used to put fat on in your hips and your legs and now it's all going in the belly, then can definitely be as a result of menopause. So let's talk about why this might be. And specifically when we go through menopause, right, we have a decrease in estrogen. And for men, as they age or major stress happens, we have this shift and a decrease in testosterone. And with the decrease in these two hormones, we see a shift in how this enzyme called lipoprotein lipase acts in the body. I'm gonna call lipoprotein lipase LPL from here on out because it's a really long word and I keep getting tripped up on it. So LPL activity starts to shift. And so what I want you to imagine LPL is like is it's like a vacuum sucker and it gets on your fat cell and it just acts like this sucker of fat and it grabs the fat from your blood and sucks it into the fat cell. It makes the fat cell bigger and then they replicate and it makes more fat cells. So you don't wanna have a lot of LPL activity on your fat cells. So estrogen reduces the activity of LPL and testosterone reduces the activity of LPL specifically on your fat cells located in the belly. So when you pre-menopause, you've got plenty of estrogen going around and it makes it so that in your belly, there's none of this LPL acting to suck in the fat. You might have a little bit of LPL activity on the fat cells in your butt and your hips and it sucks it in there and that's why you might carry it around there when you're younger, same for both men and, and women. Well, what happens when we go through menopause and estrogen decreases, or for you men out there, testosterone decreases, LPL activity starts to upregulate on the fat cells in the belly. So now you've got these little vacuum suckers of these uh, fat molecules pulling the fat into the fat cell, so the fat cell gets bigger. So that's why during menopause, we see an increase in fat stores in the belly. I think that's pretty interesting, don't you? Yeah, so it could be. The answer is if you are seeing a shift now and you're accruing all this fat in the belly, you got more LPL activity because estrogen is lower and it's sucking in, hogging um, all the fat. And what's interesting is in previous episodes, we talked together about visceral fat. The visceral fat is the belly fat. And what happens is the visceral fat gets in there, it starts to grow its own blood vessels, gets its own oxygen supply, starts to secrete hormones. And the hormones that it's secreting also hog the calories that you're eating. So now you've got LPL in there sucking up the fat. You've got the other hormones in the belly fat hogging all the calories. So your body is now hungrier. So you're eating more 
because the body's saying, hey, I'm not getting this energy because the energy is secretly going into the fat stores instead. So if you're feeling hungrier, if you feel like you're not really eating very much and you're still gaining weight, it's probably because of shift of these hormones. Does it have anything to do with insulin? Yeah, insulin is a big deal. So also when we go through menopause, uh, we become more insulin resistant. And so what insulin should do is insulin should travel around, it's secreted by the pancreas, and it should travel around the blood and it should open up the muscle cells, right? So the muscle cells open up and all the food that you ate can then pummel into the muscle cells and you use it for energy. But what happens when we become estrogen deficient or we go through menopause and estrogen decreases, I want you to think that those muscle cells get a callus around them. So now insulin travels around, it's like a little key, but it can't open up the muscle cells. So now all of that stuff that you've eaten is stuck out in the blood. And usually what we've eaten are more carbohydrates than we can tolerate. And so the carbohydrates are converted into sugar in the blood. The body doesn't like to have high levels of sugar in the blood at any given time. It's toxic to it. So it tells the body, release this insulin and get it into the muscle so you can get rid of it and burn it. But with this insulin resistance, the muscle cells can't open, like I just said. And so that sugar is left out there in the blood with nowhere to go. So you could become pre-diabetic or type 2 diabetic, or the body's really smart and it doesn't want you to become sick like that. So it converts all of that extra blood sugar into fat stores. Then you've got this LPL vacuum sucker ready to suck up all the fat. And oh my gosh, it's no wonder why this stuff happens. And does that affect your muscle mass at all? Yeah, so muscle mass, as we continue to age, usually decreases for most people. And the reason why it decreases is it doesn't really need to, but we change our lifestyle. Um, we start exercising less. We're afraid to lift heavy things. And muscle mass is a main predictor of your metabolic speed. So you want to make sure that you maintain your muscle mass. And you can do that as you age, even when you're in menopause, by continuing to lift heavy things. Um, that is really key as you age. Are there lifestyle factors that could cause some of this to happen as well? I mean, we see that in our clients, don't we? Managing stress is key because when you have high levels of cortisol, that too can take the fat that's in your legs and your arms and mobilize it and push it into the belly. So you don't want to have high cortisol levels, which is induced by chronic stress. And then you want to make sure that you sleep. Getting adequate sleep is going to be the key to keeping the symptoms of menopause at bay. But then I know it's difficult because oftentimes when you're in menopause, we get a little bit of insomnia. But there are foods that can help reduce the symptoms of menopause too. Is it true you gain more weight during menopause? I know you covered some of that. Is it a factor that happens or is it other things that are causing that? Well, it's not across the board. So some women won't gain weight during menopause. Genetics, lifestyle have to do with a lot. You know, if you are sleeping well and you're managing stress and you eat a good diet um, and you have strong genetics, then you'll probably find that you don't increase weight during menopause. So it really is dependent upon the person. Good to know. And then with that, the way you eat, does that minimize the symptoms of menopause? Yeah. So some key things that you can do to minimize the symptoms of menopause is to um, eat a healthy diet and make sure that it's whole food based. So none of the processed foods, reducing the amount of food that you eat from a box. We at PhD, you know, always advise people to eat real whole food in its real form. So if you're gonna eat an egg, eat in a whole egg. Make sure that you eat the yolk and you don't just toss the yolk. If you're gonna eat yogurt, eat a full fat plain Greek yogurt and put your own berries, nuts and seeds on top of it. 
Um, if you're going to eat meat, you can eat the skin if you like it. Um, meat is going to be really important as you go through menopause if you're open to it to help support your muscle mass because it has the highest form of bioavailability. That just means that your body is going to absorb the most from an animal protein in comparison to a plant protein. And what are some other triggers or things that could cause more issues? Yeah, so from a food perspective, if you overeat your carbohydrate tolerance level, then you're going to witness more belly fat gain. So the reason why, and we just talked about insulin resistance and wanting to keep those muscle cells open so that those carbohydrates can flow in. Well, when you go through menopause, like we just talked about, you become more insulin resistant. Just as you age, those cells aren't as sensitive to insulin anymore. So they stay locked down. They've got that callus over it. So if you eat above your carb tolerance level, no matter what you do, if you've got this insulin resistance, then this excess carbohydrate and sugar is going to flip into store fat. So you really want to look at your carb tolerance level and probably let go of some of those carby, rich, dense foods that you've been eating, and especially those sweet alcoholic drinks like margaritas, mojitos. You know, tonic water has just as much sugar as a Coke in it, and a lot of people don't recognize that. So it's clear. They don't think I know. Yeah, yeah. They think it's like a club soda, but it's not. Well, speaking of drinking, what about water? Yeah, to have any type of adjustment as we age and with menopause? Yeah, staying hydrated is really important. And as we age, we do get more dehydrated. There was a study that was done in the lab that I was in when I was getting my PhD in sports nutrition and chronic disease. And we were in the weight management lab and they were looking at the impact of drinking 16 ounces 30 minutes before a meal. And there were two groups, the control group that just reduced calories but didn't drink the water, and then the other group that ate the same amount of calories and drank 16 ounces before their meal, 30 minutes before the meal. And they weren't told why, so they had no idea. And the water group lost significantly more weight than the non-water group. And they didn't know why that is, but drinking water can help with digestion, metabolism, make you feel more full. And I'm sure there's many other reasons out there why staying hydrated can help with maintaining a healthy weight and reducing hot flashes. So those are important things. And then making sure you're prioritizing protein because of muscle mass. Um, that's going to be the number one thing that you can do to help maintain your muscle mass is get adequate protein, about 0.8 to 1 gram of protein per pound optimal weight, and then lifting something heavy to overload those muscles. Do you find that supplements help at all? Yes. Uh, black cohosh and evening primrose oil are the two that show the most evidence, but everybody is different. And if you consider adding that in, make sure you talk to your doctor. And if you got hot flashes, there are certain triggers that can make those worse, specifically caffeine, alcohol, and spicy foods. So you might consider avoiding those. Wow. All right, last question. How do we keep our testosterone levels at their peak as we age? So for you men out there, dropping that belly fat will have the most significant improvements on your overall health and managing and balancing your testosterone as anything else that you'll do. So that is key. Um, let's see. Okay, so moving, exercising is really important. And the type of exercise that you do is even more important. So if you are into endurance type of activity, like getting on your bike and riding a long distance, or you love these marathon running events, or you're an ultra endurance athlete, or even just going out there and I'd say running chronically for over 45 minutes at a moderate pace, 
it's actually going to support the accrual of belly fat. Dr. Sean O'Mara has been putting out and he talks a lot about visceral fat, sharing how it's like kryptonite, how it really is something negative that we've got to get rid of. So right along the lines of, of how we believe at PhD. And he was showing CAT scans of people, their abdomen and how much visceral fat they had in there. And there was a fellow who was eating all the right foods, all the foods I just talked about, doing everything, sleeping, managing stress, but he was running long distances. And so he told the guy, look, you've got to stop running long distance. I want you to start sprinting. And within four weeks, all the visceral fat was gone. So it's a big deal. We think that getting out there and doing a lot of cardio is helpful, but it actually is inhibitory. And before, well, actually, when I was going through my PhD, I was an avid cyclist. After I quit dancing, I had to like beat down my body some way. So I got into cycling instead. And I would ride 250 miles a week. I mean, every day I was on the bike and I just kept putting on fat and it was not muscle. It was fat and it was fat in the belly and I had visceral fat and I was pre-diabetic. I had high cholesterol. So when you move, you guys out there and you ladies as well, I want you to think more sprinting more high intensity interval training. So the suggestion that we usually give is, right, is people to get on a stationary bike. You don't have to do this, but it's just an example that I like that's low impact. For me, I ruined my knees dancing so I can't get out there and run, but you could do this running. I don't know, how do you do it? Do you do it on a bike or running? I would prefer a bike because of my background in dancing as well. Yeah. It just doesn't feel as comfortable running. Yeah, so you get on a bike like we do, you warm up for five minutes, and then you push hard, whatever your heart is, for 30 seconds. And then you go easy for a minute. And then you push hard for 30 seconds and go easy for a minute. And you just do these rotations, these intervals, about 10 to 12 times. Takes about 20 minutes. I just did it yesterday. And then you cool down for five minutes, and that's it. And the reason why that works is because, again, it helps with insulin sensitivity. That callus I was talking about that's over your cells, it helps to open up the cells in a different way so you don't have to depend on insulin and you get to all the energy, the calories that you're consuming then go into the muscle and you can burn that for fuel and it makes the body just really love life and helps testosterone to go up. Because if you are chronically stressing your body, which you can do through chronic cardio, testosterone drops. My husband had really, I think he'd be fine with me sharing this, but really low testosterone. And one of the reasons why was because he would cycle like I did. We'd do century rides and all this stuff, killing our bodies and our adrenals just can't keep up with it. And then from another perspective of increasing testosterone, lifting heavy things, you guys. And for us ladies, we have to lift heavy things. It doesn't have to be weights, nothing to get you injured, but you've got to overload the muscles, especially as you age. Um, but the most testosterone-producing type of exercises are compound exercises that use the big muscles in the body. So I'm talking about legs, and I'm talking about chest and shoulders, actually. So deadlifts and squats are the two types of exercise that actually increase your testosterone and then like chest press and stuff like that. But those are two things that you can do from an exercise perspective. What about diet? Yeah, so same thing that we talked about for you ladies, eating a whole food-based diet. Eating red meat, if you can handle it, is gonna be important because it has zinc in it, it has L-carnitine, it has B vitamins, and there's a big link in research showing low B12 reduces testosterone. You want to make sure that your diet's low in sugar, low in alcohol, because that stresses the body and reduces testosterone. 
Don't skimp on fat. We all think from past advice regarding nutrition that we should be low fat, but we see that reduced fat diets are also linked to decreased testosterone. So get your healthy fats. I'm talking about whole eggs, full fat dairy when you eat it, cheese if you tolerate it, extra virgin olive oil, avocado oil, cream in your coffee, don't do the oat milk, get real foods, not processed foods. Um, you can supplement if you want to and the best supplements to help testosterone, although make sure you check in with your doctor before you add any of these to your diet, would be boron, iodine, selenium, and magnesium. So you wanna make sure you get adequate of that in there too. And then vitamin D, spend time in the sun. There's actually some new research coming out that is really intriguing to me, showing that vitamin D supplementation doesn't do the job. It can raise certain levels of vitamin D, but not the type of D that we really need. And it bypasses other areas of the cascade that happens when we're out in the sun. So you want to make sure that you get out in the sun and you can't wear sunscreen if you want to convert to the active form because just an SPF of 15 or below blocks 99% of production. And if you're out between before the hours of 10 a.m. or after 3 p.m., you also aren't converting to the active form. So you've got to be out there about 15, 20 minutes, no SPF showing your skin between the hours of 10 and 3. And then during certain times of the month or during certain times of the year too. May through October, you can make the active form. So interesting stuff there, but you can see why we're dropping in testosterone. What about a few lifestyle things? Same that we talked about for menopause and reducing symptoms there. So um, reducing your stress, whatever you find allows for you to do that. If it's meditation or journaling or reading the Bible or getting outside and going for a hike, we all have different ways to reduce stress. Companionship and forming good relationships has actually been shown in research to increase testosterone. So make sure that you're prioritizing your relationships and your um, source of community and then getting adequate sleep. There is actually a study done by the American Medical Association showing that if you have one week of less than five hours of sleep a night, you reduce your testosterone production by 10 to 15%. That's a lot. It's a lot. So we're stressed, we're not prioritizing our relationships, we're not sleeping, and we've got no testosterone. And then we've got the belly fat everywhere, and now they've got the mannequins out there looking like dad bods, and I'm so against that. We're supporting mediocrity here. We're supporting not being healthy as being the norm and it being okay. I mean, that's not what this podcast is about, but uh, maybe I should do an episode on it. I think we need to add that into yeah. the list. If you're watching this on YouTube and you have more questions that we didn't answer, please drop them below. I read them and respond to them all. If you're listening to this on a podcast platform, then please leave a review. Or if you've got a question, come over to YouTube or you can follow me on social media at Dr. Ashley Lucas. It's D-R underscore Ashley Lucas and DM me with any questions that you've got. But um, that's all for today. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, you guys. See you on the next show. Bye.